Welcome to this podcast series where I talk to the artists behind the music I play on my radio shows on UKCountryRadio.com. Join me while I chat to and get to know the musicians and artists behind the music I play. Listen to their stories and their musical journeys and share some laughter and fun as you get to know the artists behind the music. Welcome to this episode of Bands in the Boudoir where I have with me two very talented chaps the nelson brothers i've played their music on my radio show but now you get to hear their musical journey so please welcome singer songwriters and musicians simon and steve nelson hi guys how are you hi Uh, yeah great thanks okay so it's all about listening to your musical journey which is a fascinating one i have to say so um which one of you would perhaps like to start with about your childhood where you grew up and your influences and as I understand it it was a house full of music yes uh yeah our dad in particular had a very wide range of uh you know music that that he liked he liked a a lot of jazz and um sort of crooners Bing Crosby Al Jolson that sort of thing but also a lot of country music so a lot of uh, we grew up listening to a lot of Jim Reeves Johnny Cash Hank Williams Hank Williams yeah and then a bit later on sort of Woody Guthrie and uh, the, the, more of the folk sort of angle of things um and we grew up in Stafford in the Midlands yeah and and I think um growing up when we did as well a lot of the, the culture for children was very much based on the American West, you know, we used to watch Cowboys and Indians on the TV. Um, that's all changed dramatically nowadays. But, um, yeah, so that that was what we grew up with and always had a kind of hankering to, to head out West, as it were. Head out West, yeah, I remember those wonderful cowboy uh, films. It was, my childhood was exactly the same. Okay, so, but in 1976... Uh, you left Stafford with, as you say, guitars on your back to pursue a full-time musical career. Can you continue that story for me? Yeah, we, well, originally we set off to, we decided we'd go to India, uh, hitchhike to India, and we got as far as Amsterdam. Um, <laughs> and no further, yeah. because Amsterdam was fantastic. Uh, we started out just sort of busking in the in the streets and then in the in the cafes. And that was fantastic. We'd literally walk into a cafe with our guitars and they'd say, oh, yeah, play for 20 minutes. We'll give you a couple of beers and we'll pass a hat round. And we were able to make a living doing that um, in Amsterdam. And they got a few paid gigs. Um, We were there for about six months and then um, came back uh, sort of beginning of spring of 77 and went down to Cornwall to do a summer season. So... Yeah, I think at the time we were just, we didn't really know where we were going. We just wanted to make a living out of music. Uh, Cornwall's lovely as well. Yeah. But Amsterdam is, is a great place, isn't it? It's so vibrant. It's just. Uh, it was fantastic. And it was around the time that um, Dylan's Desire album had just come out and it was blasting out of all of the cafe windows on the, on the canal banks. So it was a really great time to be there. Excellent. So, yeah, you got back to England. You headed off to Cornwall. Um, now, in the early 80s, Simon, you headed off to Australia for 18 months. What was that like for you? Was it because uh, Australia is fun? It's got a great music scene. Was that gigs and session work or something like that? Uh, I just kind of went, really. I've got some friends who are musicians who were going back. <clears throat> they were Australian <clears throat> and they were going back to Australia. So I just kind of tagged on a bit with them. 
and we we were out doing gigs. There's loads, as you say, there's loads of live music in Australia. So we just had a great time. There was loads of gigs. We played around, travelled from Perth across to Melbourne, Sydney, and and played around all of those places, which was fantastic. And of course, you have the sun and the sea and the sound yeah. as a backdrop to it all. <laughs> I believe um, it rains all the time now in Australia. It is. They're having a bad time of it at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. Cool. yeah. Steve, you stayed in the UK and continued to work solo. Was that uh, finding gigs or maybe session work or something? Yeah, we had. Uh, it was mostly mostly gigs. Yeah, we'd we'd been doing a lot of gigs as a duo um, throughout the eighties. That there were lots of wine bars in London and all the wine bars had music on. So we were able to work, you know, if we wanted it seven nights a week. Um, So I carried on doing those solo while uh, Simon was away, which I I didn't love. It's nice to play with other musicians and it can be quite lonely performing solo. You know, you've got nobody to sort of feed off. And if the audience isn't great, it it can be a bit, it can be a bit lonely, but uh, a bit dispiriting. But um, yeah, I did that for a while. Then I got a phone call. We'd already actually been, prior to all of that, in the late 70s, we'd been to Bermuda for 12 months and worked out there, played out there. And um, while Simon was in Australia, I got a phone call from a guy in Bermuda saying, would you like to come back? I was like, well, why not? (laughs) Why wouldn't you? And then Simon flew from Australia and met me in Bermuda. So we kind of hooked up again in Bermuda, which was nice. Oh, what a lovely place to get some work done. Yeah, yeah. the sand is pink and the speed limit's 20 miles an hour everywhere and everybody's completely laid back. Lovely. <laughs> Caribbean, I find, is like that anyway. Yes, yeah. yes. He is there, no problem, tomorrow, we'll do it tomorrow. tomorrow yeah. just, you know, <laughs> kick your feet back, you know. Um, okay, so we'll be coming on to your recordings and albums a bit later on, but one of the things I really like to get out of my guess are their songwritings and when they start so you've both continued to write and um on your mu- musical journey but before I like to continue on that journey I'd like to know a little bit about your songwriting obviously your influences later of course Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen are all come together you can hear elements of that in your writing but Steve I'll start with you when did you start songwriting? Um, I was about 17. I actually didn't start to play the guitar till I was 16. So I'd only been playing for a, about a year. And it was it was late 60s. Yeah. And, and I, I met a, a guy who was four or five years older than me who introduced me to the music of Dylan and Donovan and stuff like that. And just uh, just I don't know. I can't remember how it started. Just sat down one day and thought, oh, I'm going to write a song. And uh, you wrote a song, you know, most days. In fact, I failed on my A-levels. I couldn't wait to get home from school to play the guitar and write a song. Um, and I used to spend the time when I should have been revising for my A-levels up at the local library, copying out, you know, song lyrics and chord charts for songs to learn. So, so it kind of started then, really. Um, and then we just over time, we developed Simon started writing on his own. And then after a while, because I was mostly doing the lead singing, uh, it, we just kind of developed this thing where mostly I do the lyrics and Simon does the music. But we also still both do both. Um, but it, yeah, that seems to be a good arrangement for us in general. I, I regard myself more as a lyricist than a musician. Yes, I picked that up in your bio and, and you, uh, Simon, more of a composer. Staying with you, Steve, can you remember the first song you wrote? 
Uh, do you want to share about it? You don't have to. I, I, I vaguely, vaguely remember it. And it was, uh, it was written with another friend of ours, um, Martin, who I was at school with. And I, I remember sitting in our, my parents' big back garden. We had a lovely back garden. It was a beautiful summer's day. And Martin came along and he'd obviously, he'd, he'd heard of the Frank Sinatra song, It Was a Very Good Year. Uh, and and he said, oh, I want to write a song like that. And I, all I can remember was it started with something like when I was 17, I did this. And when I was, it, it was a kind of, it wasn't very good, but <laughs> but it was a start. It was a start. Yeah. I mean, the, the aim was, you know, to be as good as Paul Simon or Joni Mitchell or uh, Dylan, any of those sort of people. Yeah. I think we all don't like to remember our first songs that much because you look uh, back and yeah. think, oh, my I God. I didn't keep a copy of it. Simon would have done. See, he's, he's an archivist. I tend to go, no, let's draw a line under the past. In, in fact, I can remember I'd written about 50 songs and then one day in a, in a sort of, you know, looking through them and thinking, these are all terrible. I, I ripped them all up <laughs> and threw them away. And, of course, in those days, it was they were all written on paper. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't even have a typewriter, so they were all handwritten on paper. And in some ways, in some ways, I wish I'd still got them. But in another way, it was quite good to draw a line under the past and go, okay, fresh start. The next batch are going to be better. uh, So, yeah, that's kind of how it started for me. I must admit, I'm a bit of an archivist, and and that's usually just to remind me how bad I was when I first started. And (laughs) it needs improving. Uh, Before I move on to you, Simon, I'm... Uh, your your song Last Truck Stop Motel was recorded by the lovely Molly Tuttle. I got to see Molly Tuttle live at the IBMA World of Bluegrass Music. Um, She's great, yeah. Isn't she just fantastic? Yeah, and I had is. two people that I really admire up on the stage at the same time: Molly Tuttle and Peter Rowan. Oh yeah, great, Peter Rowan, yeah, brilliant, wonderful. Anyway, so now I'm going to get on to you, Simon. Roughly the same question. I know you're more of a composer. But again, when did you first start writing um, on your own? Similar story, Steve. I mean, he bought a new guitar, so I, I inherited the old guitar. And it was just in the air at the time. There was so many, you know, the zeitgeist at the time, there was loads of songwriters about on the radio. And Steve was writing songs. So as soon as I picked up the guitar, I was learning to play and write songs at the same time. And my first song is truly terrible. It was called Waking Now. <laughs> it went Waking Now. She is waking now. Sad to leave her slumbers in the morning. Sometimes. It was awful, really awful. <laughs> but I do remember it. It was the era of the singer-songwriter, wasn't it? James Taylor, mm. uh, you know, Gordon Lightfoot, all those kind of people that we, that we all loved. And uh, But, you know, um, as you morph as a songwriter, you, you get to realise that you know, they they have certain rules for songwriting, but it's really lovely to you really let loose with your imagination and and you can get deep in there. And if, if certain things don't rhyme, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to rhyme as long as it's got feeling and got fluid. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I'm glad you remembered your old song. I love to hear about people's first songs. I've got a couple of artists I interviewed recently, who um they said they hope there's not a copy of it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> They will kill that person, whoever. <laughs> so I, I think there is probably an old uh, reel-to-reel tape somewhere. Uh, a guy that we used to sing with in a, in a folk band had a very, very old 
reel-to-reel tape machine and he used to record the demos and whether like, we haven't been in touch with him for a long long time I mean, 30 years or so whether he's still got those lying around somewhere I don't know but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> they might emerge one day <laughs> you never know they might just do that so continuing now with your musical journey you signed with Irish record label Round Tower which has led very nicely onto many wonderful opportunities for you both, including Nashville Sessions. Can you tell us more about your beginning with uh, Round Tower and, you know, your continuation on to now, really? Yeah, I I remember we spent a a number of years trying to get uh, record deals with, you know, the major record labels in London. And in those days, you, you couldn't, we didn't have computers, so we would have to save up for six months to go into a recording studio to record demos and then go around all the record labels, get rejected by them all, and then spend another six months saving up to do another one. Um, and one day we just sat down and said, this, this, this is not working, but, you know, we've got enough songs, we want to get a record out. Um, and we just started, we started, a, I remember we started a list of, contacts okay who do we know or who who you know who have we read about somewhere who might be useful and we started this list and every time we knocked every time we scratched somebody off the list we had to find somebody to add on to it um and that's how we found round tower records at the time i read an interview with with one of their acts and thought oh they sound good for us so we contacted them and although uh, their headquarters were in dublin they had a london office in Acton Town, um, which was just up the road from us. So went to meet them. And yeah, eventually they came to see us play live a few times. And then uh, we, did, we did a deal with them um, and brought out our first album. And we're then in the process of recording. We, in fact, we'd almost finished the second album when uh, an American publisher popped into their office one day um, he was meeting. He was there to see somebody else, and the other person he was meeting was in a, a, a meeting. So he po- po- poked his head into Round Tower and said, "Oh, you guys got anything for me? I'm Robert John Jones from from America." And they gave him a stack of ten CDs, and he said he took them all home and listened to them all, and didn't like any of them until he got to the last one, which was ours. <laughs> Which was fantastic. So he, uh, yeah. And then basically what happened was um, he was going to to put together one album from our first two to release in America at his own small independent label. And then the whole sort of independent label thing crashed in America. So we weren't able to do that, but he got us a publishing deal uh, with a company called Windswept Pacific and took us over to Nashville and... uh, Tucson, Arizona, we hung out there writing songs and we spent quite a bit of time in Nashville over the years, yeah. Oh, wonderful. So your first two albums, and that that first album you're talking about is Hometown, is that right? Yes, correct, yes. And then you've got Places in the Heart, which was released in 2009. Well, actually, that, yes, although that was released second, that was actually the third album. Oh, really? What was, where? Uh, Okay. So our our second album, it's... (laughs) Yeah, it's a long story, really. We'd 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 finished recording it. It was it was roughly mixed, and then uh, we sort of fell out with Round Tower, and they wouldn't pay up what was left to pay on on the, you know the expenses. So the studio kept the tapes and wouldn't let us have them. 
uh, and for a long time it was it was lost and then I mean, it was several years later when uh, the studio engineer from the studio uh, phoned us and said the studio's closing down and I've just found your master tapes in a skip outside would you like them <laughs> we're like yeah. absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so we got it remixed and that was released that's Sacred River, that was uh, our third album chronologically, but actually the second one that was recorded. Right, yes. Sacred River then, it was 2017. Yes, yeah, so it was quite a few years later. We did quite a bit more work to it, and we re-recorded some of the vocals yeah, and re-re- remixed the whole re-re-re-re. thing, so it was yeah. changed quite a bit, yeah. And then you've got Migrant Tales. Yes. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. We um, we sat down one day and looked through lots of songs we'd got lying around. Some of them were uh, songs we'd written over in the states that had never really seen the light of day. And we just we just thought, looking at them one day, we thought there's a there's a theme here. They're all they're all about um, you know migrants uh, from the British Isles into America, and that's you know that's that's our sort of starting point, I suppose. I mean, we've got Irish ancestors who went over to America and in terms of American country music that we like it's it's the more rootsy sort of Appalachian folk music and uh, American country rock rather we're not really into the pop country thing it's never really been our thing so <laughs> it's more of a roots thing and uh, yeah all, all of these songs just seem to fit into that category so we we went over to um, a friend of ours who's got a studio in Wales very fine bass player called Andy Wall Cochlan Andy Wall Cochlan because he plays a wall bass <laughs> so his nickname's Wall but he's played with everybody. He plays with Shaken Stevens, Kerry's Matthews. Yeah. And he's got his own little studio set up. So he um, very kindly engineered, produced and played bass on it in his little studio up in the hills in Wales. Oh, what a lovely story that is in uh, itself. You could make a song out of that alone. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've written a whole bunch of new stuff um, during during the first lockdown nothing else to do so we've got about 20 new songs that we, we're desperately keen to get uh, started on recording those yeah these days what we tend to do quite a lot is we, we write songs separately so steve will write a complete song i'll write a complete song and then we kind of come together i tend to hone steve's music and he hones my lyrics and that's how we kind of collaborate I'm a, I'm a three or four chord man. Simon goes, let's put a few more chords in this, make it a bit more interesting. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, three or four, maybe five chords. It depends. Yeah. So, well, you must let me know when you've got that recorded. Uh, so uh, great that you, I think a lot of people use lockdown as in a very positive way, actually. That, you know, you could have just taken it as a negative thing but mm. I myself turned it into a positive thing. I know many other artists, singer-songwriters really yeah. did. They they replanned their future. They wrote loads of songs, you know, and they just yeah. indulged in it and enjoyed the time they were given to do that because they had sure. a choice. I know it was, a, it was a very tough time for a lot of people, but I, you know, I loved it, to be honest. We had no, we had no aeroplanes going over. We had birds in the garden I've never seen before. The weather was lovely during the first lockdown, so... I did lots of walking and yeah, and lots of writing. It was, it was great. There were lots of positives to it, weren't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, so your last 
album, The Nashville Sessions 2019. That obviously was I mean, sessions in Nashville. And one of your songs, I mean, I play your songs, but one of them I really love and you sent me was Lou Ray, which is really great because I have a bluegrass show, as you know, but I slipped it in because it was very bluegrassy, but it had the drums in it. So it wasn't totally acoustic, but it's my show and I can play what I want. So. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> but I also now have a Bands in the Boudoir show that complements this. So I am now able to play two or three tracks of the artists that I've been interviewing and really get their music out there. So it doesn't have to be bluegrass, doesn't have to be just acoustic. It can be country, country rock, it can even be rock. We, we like, you know, music that's got all of those influences in it rather than being specifically, you know, this is folk music. Or, and it's really hard to categorise music these days. I think there is, people are influenced by so many different different things, you know, it's... I mean, I, I, nowadays, people probably, a lot of people would probably regard John Prine as country or folk. But when he, when I first heard him, he was like the new Dylan. I mean, college students loved him. It was like music wasn't as pigeonholed, I don't think, as it is oh. now. He was very unique, John Prine, wasn't he? Um, yeah, fantastic. I mean, totally a one-off. Yeah. Um, like Dylan, they're just... Absolutely, yeah, brilliant. yeah. So apart from your, um, before I go on to something else I want to ask you, just wrap up your personal musical journey um, with these albums, etc. Apart from this next album that you're hoping to do, have you got any tour dates? Have you got gigs coming up? What's your plans for this year? We had some dates lined up when um, the lockdown happened. So uh, we lost loads of stuff. So we're, we're hoping to get them uh, lined up again now, yeah. Around around the country, different different parts of the country. Now, the one thing that I have to ask you, because it's on your website, which is, listeners, www.nelsonbrothers.co.uk. Do check them out. You've got all their social media, their albums you can buy, download, you know, go, go stop by. You won't be disappointed. But on there, you will see about the hotheads. Tell me about the hotheads. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, like, um, you know, most musicians, we, we have to, scrape a bit of money here there, and everywhere when we can so uh, we both teach guitar as well and uh, I've been well we've both been doing that for a long time I got a phone call one day from an American lady um, saying I'd like to learn the guitar will you come to my house so I so I went over to her house I had no idea who she was um, and I said to her what you know what do you do and she said I'm an actress oh okay fair enough anyway we had the first lesson and I went home and phoned my American friend, our publisher, and said, I'm, I'm teaching this lady, uh, Elizabeth McGovern. And he was, I heard this sharp intake of breath on the other end of the phone. He's like, oh, my God, you're teaching Elizabeth McGovern? And he reeled off all these movies she'd been in. And I said, well, I've never seen any of them. <laughs> I had no idea who she was, which was probably a really nice thing because she kind of immediately relaxed because she thought he doesn't know who I am. It's not going to be any kind of, you know, um, and then we, we just became good friends. I s said to her, why don't you, you know, because when I first went to her, she wanted to learn to play all these old American folk songs, uh, Appalachian mountain music, which I love, you know, but we, we had a couple of weeks and then I said to her, why don't you, have you thought about writing your own songs? And she was like, no, I, I wouldn't want to expose that much of myself to the world anyway I turned up the following week and she said I've written five songs 
And, and it just snowballed from there. So I put her in touch with Simon, who then recorded her first batch of songs. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was great for a few years. We, we ended up, we opened for Sting at the Montreux Jazz Festival. Wow. The band Sadie and the Hotheads. So the Hotheads is the Nelson Brothers band, basically, and Sadie is, is Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful name. Brilliant. Band. Yeah, it was a, that's Elizabeth. She's very creative. Very, very, very good right. writer. Mm. And we did a, a UK tour opening for Mike and the Mechanics all over the UK, playing some beautiful Buxton Opera House and places like that. Um, and Hammersmith Apollo, which was a dream because <laughs> I've seen so many people there over the years. Dylan, Ry Cooder, Paul Simon. And never, ever dreamed we'd play there. But we it was the last night of the tour when we opened for Mike and the Mechanics there, which was great, yeah. Oh, fantastic. You've certainly had a very colourful and interesting um, musical journey and thank you for sharing it with me and look forward to hearing the next album and look out for yeah. dates that come along. To Do let me know because I can actually then put them out onto my radio show and, and I can tag you all in social media, you know. so Fantastic. Thank you very much. Keep me up to date and thank you, thank you so much for giving me your time today, gentlemen. That was really good fun. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. thank you. You have been listening to a Lynn Nash Music and Voice production for the Bands in the Boudoir podcast. I do hope you've enjoyed listening and I hope you will come back to listen to further episodes in the future. Thank you very much for tuning in.